Welcome to this Barks podcast and this is Nikki Tudge. Today I am joined by three fabulous female business leaders, Veronica Battelle from Dogbiz, Tracy Lee Davis from Zing Pop Social Media and Colleen Ellis from Two Hearts Pet Loss Center. I'm sharing with you a fabulous panel discussion we had about the pet industry and all kinds of topics that will help you to learn and grow your business. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Nikki Tudge with PPG. I've got three of my favorite business people here with me today. So, um, we, we did this on Wednesday and it was such a good who and I felt like I was moderating some kind of um, quiz game the way that everybody was behaving. And, I, and there used to be a game in the UK where everybody sat in panels like squares. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I, I, so I feel like I have a quiz master and I do have my questions here and points me in prizes. So, yeah. So, um, so let's get going. First of all, let's introduce everybody. I don't think anyone here needs introducing, but I'm going to introduce you anyway. So in the top left-hand corner, we have the delightful Veronica Vattel. So welcome, Veronica. Hello. Hello. I'm glad um, to be here. <laughs> and then in the top right-hand corner, we have Tracy Lee Davis, who I've spent quite a lot of time with over the last few weeks. So hi, Tracy. Welcome. Hello. Uh, good morning for me. I'm over in San Jose, so it's 10 for me. So good morning. Happy to be here. Oh, it's the same for you, isn't it, Veronica? You're over in Oregon, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Yes. And then us, um, us oh, I was going to say us East Coast girls, but you're sort of in the middle, aren't you, Colleen? You're in Texas. Right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. Okay. So um, Colleen and I spent the morning together this morning from 9 till about 10.15. So um, Colleen Ellis, welcome everybody. So this is the second and final of the panel discussions that we are doing for Up Your Business Game. I don't know, I just feel ridiculously silly today. I don't know why. This, this, this might not end well for any of us. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, the, the panel discussion we had on Wednesday, there were three people and me. So... This morning I looked at it and went, I think there's only Veronica and Tracy. I'm going to bring a ringer in. So our ringer is Colleen. Thank you for joining us at the last minute. So there's Colleen. All right. So, um, happy to take questions from our audience, but I also do have some questions racked up here just to sort of get the old um, gray matter working. So I'm just going to throw a question out there. And just so we don't all end up talking at the same time, I'll, I'll give everybody ample time to answer it. Okay, and if, if you sort of go, oh my God, that's the most ridiculous question anyone's ever asked me, and I need a few seconds to ponder a ridiculously appropriate response, then let me know and I'll move on to the next person. Okay, that's sort of the rules of the game we've got going here. All right, so question number one is, um, let's have a look. Oh, here's a good question. We'll start with Veronica, because I know that you're going to be talking about this tonight, Veronica, or you may have discussed, no, I think tonight. So the question is, why is it in our industry that we have such a hard time selling packages? And I, don't, and I don't mean hard time as in customer doesn't want to buy them. I mean hard time as in why are we so resistant to sell to pre-sell a package? Why do we sort of try and do it a little bit at a time? Oh, it's fear. I mean, it's so interesting. You think about you think about the I think the sort of personalities that are drawn to this work, right? We we really tend to be um, altruistic in nature rather than entrepreneurial. We are desperate to help. We want to help so so badly, and I think that there's this this fear that we are not going to get the opportunity. Um, there's this pervasive belief in our industry that people will only do dog training if it's cheap and easy, 
And so if we package it all together, if we sell the amount of training that's actually needed to give us the best chance of getting the job done, then they're going to say no and we won't get the opportunity to help. And so we make all of these compromises in order to make sure that we can get our feet into the door. But ultimately, unfortunately, we end up setting ourselves and our businesses and the clients and the dogs up for failure because we don't we don't ensure through the way that we package and sell our services that we're going to have the time that's needed to actually get the job done and so i, I think it's a confidence issue um fortunately it's also something that uh, i do i know from nearly 20 years of experience working with dog trainers is something uh, it's a confidence that can be learned and it's a skill set that can be learned and we're seeing that even now in the midst of the pandemic among our Thrive members who have had the guts this last year to not only sell packages, but to sell substantial creative packages and to price them really well, to even raise their rates in, this, in the middle of this last year and find that they have waiting lists. I mean, waiting yeah. lists of months long. And so, so the good news is it's something that we really can overcome both individually and as an industry. Yeah, okay, thank you. Always a well-constructed comment. I have to find a more difficult question for you, Veronica. See if I can, <laughs> see if I can knock you off your game. Don't <laughs> me, do it. <laughs> okay, Tracy, over to you. What are your thoughts? Because I know, I mean, Tracy, you specialize in social media consulting and training for our industry. And I know that you do have memberships and packages. So obviously it's something that you believe in. So why do you think that there's a, a reluctance um, for people to do that? And was it was it hard for you to sort of set up your own packages? Was it something that you just felt that should be well, done? Well, so, um, first off, I'd like to say that I agree with Veronica 100%. Um, and that is, um, yeah, I, I just, I agree. So um, with, with my own services, um, I have a membership program and so that is that is you know you're signing up for x amount of stuff and and um, it's a monthly billing and I think that is something that it would be helpful for a lot of dog folks to consider doing if you have regular monthly services getting away that you can charge people on a recurring basis because that might also be part of it maybe your client doesn't have you know thousand dollars to spend all at one point but if your services are going to be going over a couple of months then you could try doing an automatic recurring payment and this isn't something that you send an invoice and hope that they pay it's you get their credit card information and it is set up that it is a recurring payment um, because when people pay for things they are much more likely to do it yay <laughs> it's funny how that works isn't it yeah, yeah. Um, so that has worked really well for me, um, getting that, getting a subscription-based business. Uh, it's nice knowing that on the first, I'm going to have, I know that I'm going to have a certain amount of money coming into my bank account, so that gives stability for me. Um, people who don't have to think about paying something every month, it's going to make them more likely to continue doing something. If they have to take that step to pay, that extra thing, they may not do it. Mm -hmm. So automating, holy guacamole, can help you so, so much. Yeah. And there are a lot of tools out there that you can use to do it. I mean, you can easily set up recurring payments through PayPal. Um, I use QuickBooks, so I can do recurring payments through QuickBooks. If you use a tool like Acuity for scheduling, you can do recurring payments on that. So 
tons of options out there that might already work with a payment solution that you're already using. I'm really glad you used that word commitment because I, I did a course last year about um, change and commitments. And one of the things that the course talked about was commitment devices. I mean, it went into a lot of the psychology around why people are able to plan things and not actually when it comes to executing, they don't do it. And the two biggest examples of weight loss and working out, we all have these ideas of grandeur, but on the actual day. Um, and and for, there's a lot of research behind why that happens. But one of the things that I was learning about was commitment devices and how um, humans don't always actually make a commitment to do something. And if you can get a human to actually commit, generally they will do it. And one of the best commitment devices that works the best, the research shows this, it's a soft commitment device and it's the commitment device of prepayments. So if we can get our clients to prepay, your commitment percentage is gonna go right up. So that's the, another side benefit or one of the biggest benefits of packages. Yeah. Ms. Colleen, what about you? I got a girl crush on Veronica right now because that whole that whole thing, yeah, I know, right? That whole and I'm also on Tracy because those bibs behind her, I am like so not worthy. But but listen, I go back with what Veronica said. You know, if, if we were to and we talked about this in my presentation this morning um, on on how you color outside the lines. And if I said to you, I want you to be the highest price in your market. And I want you to figure out how you're going to do that. I want you to be, I want you to be able to pull those shoulders back and go. Let me tell you why I am the highest price in the market. Not because I deserve it, but because the value of what I do, or just because I can. The value of what I do, you are going to find it off the charts. And so that's why I'm the highest price. Now here's what I did in my packaging, and I'm death care, you guys. Okay. So if y'all think you got something tough to sell, let me tell you about selling death care. Okay. That, that that one's got a little, takes a little time. So I would package my stuff, okay? And of course, when we talk about packages, when we educate, not sell, when we educate on what's in the packages, we tell them everything that's in the package and we tell them why it's beneficial to them. W-I-I-F-M on our radio station. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? So I run down that list. Some things are, they're, they're things that you're like, Oh man, you know, like I was saying, you have the use of my facility. Well, that's kind of a given, right? It's kind of a given, you would believe. But guess what? When you start throwing 15 things by them of what's included in your package, of some things that says, I'm going to drive to your home, I'm going to do, and, and say it, say it out loud. Then I give the price. Not until you give everything, then you give the price. And if they go, oh my gosh, that's, ooh, that's a little bit higher than I thought. The first question I ask them is, where did you believe that price would be? Because they don't know. They don't know. That's an automatic reaction. I don't care what thing, including clothing at Ann Taylor, I go, ooh, that's a little bit higher than what I thought. What did I believe? I don't know. That's a normal human reaction, right? And so then I would say, well, let me do this. Let me unpack it. Let me unpack the package. And I'm going to give you everything all a cart. Which, by the way, if you add up all the a la carte, it's way greater than the package price. And I say to them, why don't you pick what's most important to you? Okay? Because once they start picking, it adds up to greater than the package price. Mm -hmm. I want to make for you, for our trainer folks. Yeah. What if, what if you had package prices that 
decreased the longer you stayed with you as a trainer. And by the time we got to the old dog, we got to 10 or 11 or 12 years for the big Bernese mountain dog. By the time you got there, because I've been in your life this entire time through the dog history, that the package now, it is more about retention of a client because we know they'll go back and get another one. So the first thing I want them to do is think about me and I was there the whole time mm -hmm. throughout every stage of life. So don't create puppy packages, create life stage packages. Mm. Got it. And I, you may have noticed that I put you on mute one at a time just to have a play with it because there's some reverberation on the line. So if you, if you can hear it, you can self mute and unmute. I think sometimes when we have several people, it tends to, it's just, it's the magnetism of our personalities. The system cannot handle it. That's <laughs> gotta be it, yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Fantastic answers. Does anyone have any questions on that? Otherwise, I'm just gonna keep throwing mine out there, which um, may not be the best. Let me just have a look where my question was. While, while you're looking, I just wanna say that, um, yeah, girl crushes all around. You know, the 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 membership piece is so huge. Yes, and we're you know we're we're seeing more and more of our clients and Thrive members exploring the membership concept, and that life you know that life stage concept plays really well into that too. Um, it, it, but one of the things that I also loved that you said, Colleen, is the the confidence to be to not just raise our rates and not just charge enough to barely squeak by but to actually be the most expensive and to own that not yeah. with cockiness not with ego but just with the quiet confidence and what, what what we find over and over and over again is that the dog trainers who have the longest wait list who are in the most demand who need to do the least amount of selling and convincing are the ones who have the highest rates and it feels so counter intuitive because if your rates are low now and you're having trouble you're hearing people say oh that's so expensive i didn't that was more than i thought your instinct is to say well i can't have it any higher then mm -hmm. but the reality is if you were to come to us and say i'm having trouble getting people to engage and I'm, I'm not getting the business i need the first thing we look at is your rates, but we're looking to see if they're too low because they almost always are. And the, the people who really are serious about long-term commitment training with their dogs, they're not looking for the cheapest, they're looking for the best. And we tend to equate cost with value. We assume that the most expensive dog trainer is the best dog trainer. It's one of the reasons why people go to force-based traditional trainers before they go to positive reinforcement trainers. They assume those trainers must be better because they have the confidence to charge more. And so just something to really think about that you worry that if you raise your rates that people aren't going to want to or be able to work with you, but you'll find that they will want to and they will find a way to regardless of their, um, their economic status. And you know what else you'll find, Veronica? you'll find that the type of clientele that you'll appeal to, I tell vet clinics this all the time. I said, what is wrong with being a concierge service? And, and you get to work with people as to the reason you went to school. Instead of trying to tell them why a dental is important, that, forget those people. I'm sorry, at the end of the day, that's not our clientele, that's PetSmart's clientele. Go, you guys go to PetSmart. You guys go to those trainers. If you want to come to a specialist, you're going to come to me. Here's my here's my my price objection line that I learned a gazillion years ago selling caskets. I am going to answer the price objection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I live in an exciting world, you guys. Hook on, it's exciting. I'm gonna answer the price objection once because I will never forever answer to the quality of my services. My quality yeah. will always justify where I'm at. And as I said to the group this morning, if you don't know if your client feels the same way, then you better be asking the question. You've got to ask them how they feel about your services. And let me tell you another thing that I use, and this is in my calls with veterinarians. You know, I'll get that price objection all the time, but here's the first thing I do when I'm talking to them. I've already gone around to the back of the veterinarian's clinic and I know what he's driving. Okay. BMW. Talk about that BMW and why we didn't buy a Kia or whatever else. Because you look, you look for value and stuff. And so why why do we have people shop us differently than they shop everything else in their world? Okay, I'm done. I get fired. I, I, I now I have a little thing to add. It's all on the table. Yeah. Um, one thing. So I have a fabulous business coach, and um, she. One of the things that she always tells us when we're having discussions about prices is that it's none of our business what our clients can afford. So yep. don't make assumptions for our clients thinking, oh, they can't possibly afford that. Because if we sell it correctly, if we explain all of the amazing value that we bring, if they want it, they're going to find a way to make it happen. So yep. don't make assumptions on the basis of what you think your clients can afford. For example, last year during a pandemic, I raised my prices and I didn't lose a single client. So yeah. Mm -hmm. I, have, I, well, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean. Ultimately, we don't want the low, the low-hanging fruit. Let somebody else pluck the low-hanging fruit, because mm -hmm. at, at some point you get to the point where you can't take any more business, and you're making no money because your average rate for service is about forty-five dollars, and you think to yourself, well, if I start raising my prices now, I'm going to have to gradually wean all my old clients off that. Some of them I'm going to lose. There's going to be a bad taste. So don't start that in the first place, because otherwise, it's an, it's awful to transition. When suddenly, I mean, Veronica, you must experience this when you're doing consulting for people. When you sort of you you recommend they increase pricing, then they get pushback from existing clients, and they have to manage expectations and manage dialogue and make the transition. And it's just it can be very cumbersome. So just start it right. No, I agree. Or it makes sense to start right from the beginning. The the so, thing that's I think one thing that is nice for trainers most of the time is that it's relatively easy to raise your rates as a dog trainer because the door does revolve a bit, which is part of why you know, we're really pushing this look as, as Tracy you know, raised with memberships and things like that to slow that revolving door. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, anyone listening who does uh, more long-term services, things like dog walking, um, daycare, things like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit of work to get those rates up. But as Tracy experienced this year, when <laughs> when you do your work with the kind of quality that Colleen's talking about, and you have brought in the kinds of clients who really are passionate about you and what you do, and you have that rapport, it doesn't matter. You are not going to lose those clients. I mean, you people are always so terrified to raise their rates. But the the incident of loss is inc 
incredibly, incredibly low uh, because you do have those long-term, those long-term relationships. And I really love what Tracy said about not taking on responsibility for other people's economic situations, not making the assumption and not taking on the responsibility. <laughs> Anyone who has been a dog trainer for very long has had the experience of walking into a palatial mansion and being told that the package they are trying, that they're recommending is too expensive. And you've also had the experience of walking into a home thinking, oh, there's no way these people can afford dog training. Who didn't blink an eye and said, yes, anything, you know, can I, can I do a payment plan, whatever it takes. Because it's not really about, it's not about the money they make, it's about how they prioritize their dogs. It's, a, it's about their own values and what's most important to them. And so yeah. you're looking, you have to create the services that you know work and that you believe in. And then you go market those to the clients who are the right match and not to everyone. And you're not, it, it's, it's about really that confidence to go and say, here's who I'm after. And then to, to direct the message and, you know, toward them so that it's, it's a natural fit at that point. Yeah. It's an easy sell. And if, if you look at some of the research available as to why small businesses fail, if you ask a lot of small businesses why they fail, they will tell you where I live and my pricing. If you mm. look at the actual research, the research is poor management and no sales and marketing. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter where you live and what you're pricing, it's how you manage your business and the expert client experience, which is ultimately going to be the deciding factor. Yeah. Well, back to what Veronica said, we have the misconception of believing everybody's our client. Not everybody's your client. <laughs> and once you can say no, and it's okay to fire a client, just saying, it's okay to fire a client and yeah. go find the people, go hang where the people are hanging that are your client. They look like your client. We went through that whole thing this morning about what our client of today looks like. Go be with them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting study, isn't it? Because I know from some of our dogsmiths, we have dogsmiths that live in West Palm Beach. We have dogsmiths in rural Texas. We have dogsmiths in other locations. And it didn't, what always surprised us over the last 10 years, it didn't seem to matter where they were located, suburb, city, whatever. They all grew at the same amount. Mm -hmm. And I always found that fascinating because I always assumed the dogsmith down in West Palm Beach was going to grow much faster. Dense population, more disposable income, affluence, didn't seem to make any difference at all, which always fascinated me. So I don't know, just some food for thought. And I think it's why when I first opened my dog training business, I was living in a little town called Bonifay, Northwest Florida, which was referred to as Lower Alabama because we were right on the Alabama border. And everyone told me, you will fail. And I was like, just sit back and watch. I don't fail. It's not in my, it's not in my repertoire to fail. And even my husband said, are you sure about where we're living? It's like, it doesn't matter. We're going to make this work. And we did. We made it work. And we made it work really well. It's, it's all about you, your mentality, and how you market your business. So mm -hmm. just throwing that out there. Um, all right. Here's a question that Tracy might be the expert to answer. Um, should all small businesses be using Google, Yahoo, and other map-based map -based services? And if so, why are they so powerful? Um, yes. You absolutely, at the very least, you want to have a Google My Business listing. And I talked about this yesterday. Um, it is so important that if someone, so Google calls these micro moments where you are in need of something, you pick up your phone and you do a search for whatever it is that you need near me. So you're frustrated with your dog because he's not 
your house training isn't working out or you know, eating your couch or you know, reactive at the window, whatever might be happening. And so you're like, okay, great. I need a dog trainer near me. And so your phone is going to be able to obviously say, you know, if you have your location set on, but then a, a list of dog trainers is going to come up. And so of course you're going to want to see, okay, who's, who's got a website, who's got this and that, but the ones that are coming up first are the ones that people are going to look at first. And if you are not taking that seriously, your online presence seriously, people aren't going to find you easily. Yes, of course we want great word of mouth and that is one of the best, most powerful ways to get new business. But you don't want to leave potential business on the table because you don't have a way for new people to find you easily. So having yourself set up on all of the, uh, the usual suspects so that people can easily find you, it just you, you want to make it ridiculously easy for people to find you because all of the aversive trainers, they have got their marketing on lockdown and they are talking to people in ways that is working for them so that they're like, great, this guy is telling me that he can fix my dog's problem in two weeks. I'm going with that guy because I need this problem resolved now. So making sure that you show up on those searches is so important. So you, you talk about Google, what about Yahoo and Bing? Because they have sort of similar, don't they? I know they're not as powerful because most people don't use their search engines. Right, so I have, I've, I have claimed my Bing, my Bing equivalent of Google My Business. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it's called, I don't even know what it's called, but it's, it's the Bing equivalent of Google My Business. And so I have claimed that, of course. Um, they actually have a really nice integration that if you have a Google My Business account already, you can just import everything that you have from Google My Business onto the Bing equivalent. Um, Yahoo, I'm not on it. I don't know the last time I've ever used Yahoo to search for anything, but <laughs> you know, worthwhile. That's about free listings, if you if you can claim it for free, why not? Right. Absolutely. Veronica, any any opinions on that? Oh no, I agree with Tracy entirely. Yeah, she she's. She's got that great expertise in that area, and I, I can't imagine I had anything to add to it. Um, I, I will say, you know, ripping off what she said about word of mouth, that yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly valuable. But of course, you have to go create that, right? And, it's, and, it's, and so in the meantime, while you're doing the hard work, yeah. the real marketing of creating that, it makes sense, as Tracy said, to to ensure that you're set up to to catch that you know that casual traffic that went looking for someone but didn't yeah. need to go looking for you specifically. Yeah, but isn't isn't it amazing how we can be in our car and just go you know um, Google a restaurant near me or shoes near me or and then it's like ping. I mean it's I mean we we can't and, and I think we've got to start getting better at leveraging some of the technology that's available haven't we that we may may use as individuals but we don't tap into from a business perspective mm -hmm. I mean how many people are using Google every day to find stuff and yet they don't have a Google listing there's that this cognitive disconnect between what I find convenient for me as a consumer but what I haven't taken the time to set up as a business owner yeah I think what's interesting too is that we we tend to have we hold an overly simplistic view of what marketing is and how it works, right? So we'll we'll either only do one portion of it. So you know maybe we'll work on our veterinary relationships locally, but we won't work on our online presence. Or we'll work on our online presence and think that that's all that needs to be done, and forget all of the local relationships and the content marketing and putting 
you're putting out you know education into the world that brings people to us and so it's it, it, i think that it's one of the biggest mistakes in our industry is that we don't do enough of it and we often we don't do the pieces of it that are going to be the most effective and it's i think it's you know it's partly a fear thing it's partly a distaste thing you know, we're all in this because we want to geek out on dog behavior and change a dog's lives not to become marketing experts and um but one of the things that we teach a lot at dogbiz is is that content marketing piece that idea of marketing doesn't have to be running around singing your own praises and uh, you know all the self-aggrandizement and discomfort yeah. that that brings for most yeah. of us it can be about using your knowledge and expertise to change the lives of dogs and people by sharing that by sharing that you know through writing that you do and speaking engagements right. that you do, right. putting out great newsletters um blog posts it's re if you think about if you reframe it as education so that it doesn't feel so frightening and that you're doing great you're doing good in the world while you're doing your marketing um yeah. then it makes i think it makes it so much easier to uh, to embrace it as part of the work that you do yeah absolutely colin i know you're a massive one for staying in your own lane is there anything that you want to add to that or is that sort of no i mean she's always telling everybody stay in your own lane let pay other people to do that and that's exactly what I was going to say. Every other word that Tracy said went right over my head. And, and back in the old days, back in my younger, more immature days, I'd be over here taking furious notes going, crap, why didn't I know that? Why? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. We yeah, got to like, I'll, just, I'll pay somebody else to do it. That's exactly right. And let me tell you why. And Tracy can admit to this, whether it's Facebook or it's Google, or whoever it is, they're changing algorithms all the time. They're changing crap on me all the time. And you know what? That's not my wheelhouse. I don't like that stuff. I am amazing at speaking. I'm amazing at writing. I'm amazing at, at, at helping a grieving family. I'm amazing at those things. And if you tell me, you got to go now figure out the algorithms of Facebook to make sure, I'd be like, I go, okay. And, and then you know what I would happen? I'd find something else to do and I'd find something else to do and I'd find something else to do and I'd find because I don't want to do it. I want to go pay a Tracy and say, Tracy, you got to make me look good, sissy. Make me look good out there and, and bring it home. And I know enough that when Tracy and I show up around I the board, <laughs> I know enough of, of what questions to ask Tracy. But at the end of the day, Tracy's going to stay in her lane and I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm not going to go over there. I'll, I'll execute on what Tracy gives me as homework and my social media person says and my web guy says clean I need a blog and in the first two sentences I need garden dog dying and a rock figure it out okay I'll figure it out because I he knows he knows what my analytics are doing I, he analyzes it not me I, I could give two craps about it <laughs> And I know Veronica's going to agree to that because you're a big believer in, you know, do what you do well and if you need anyway. to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, if you're going to be successful in business, you can't take it all on, especially as Colleen says, you know, when you take on the things that you don't enjoy or that you're uncomfortable with or intimidated yeah. by or not good at, then what do we do? Yeah, we just procrastinate and then those things yeah. don't get done. And so often yeah. they're, the, they're the important things. And so... Yeah, having a team that supports you on the business side so that you are able to do the dog training side, it just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we have, and we have, I'm gonna, 
I'm sorry. I want to, I want to support Tracy. Okay. I want to totally support Tracy. However, I want to throw something else out at you. Your local colleges, your local colleges have got marketing departments. They've got social media kids. They've got art departments. They've got all this stuff and they're constantly looking for things to build out their portfolio. So if you believe that you can't afford a Tracy, which I'm going to tell you, you can't afford not to pay a Tracy. But if you're, if you're just getting started and you're trying to be a little bit diligent on your performa and your budgeting and all that kind of stuff, go to your local college. Those kids are amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And they will work hard and they'll work for peanuts and they'll get the job done for you. But stay in your lane. I'm, I'm going to add something here and I'll be interested to see what you and, you and Tracy say to this because I, Tracy and I have a business relationship. She's been helping me with some social media coaching. And for PPG, and we're going to have a call next week, I believe, to sort of bring some of our team members on board with it. And I, I wanted to know enough, which I, I, I'm getting there now, to be able to supervise and oversee somebody else doing it. So for me, I need a Tracy in my life and I need a student because I don't think Tracy's going to want to spend all day putting out my social media posts. I don't think that's what you want to do. But, no. but Tracy can certainly give me the knowledge to know what I should be doing, how I should be doing it, and what I should be looking for. And then I can find that student who yes. has the time, I can afford to pay. I can either say, hey, I'll pay for you to go spend an hour with Tracy, or this is what you need to be doing, bring it on home. Is that, is that, yeah? I, I concur. Thank you, Tracy. Well, and because what, right, what Tracy has that the student doesn't have is the understanding of our industry. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But then all of that gets imported down into the posting because like when my when my when my college student did it for me she's like oh my god i get a play on facebook and you're gonna pay me and it's puppies and it's kitties and i said oh no 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 my clientele is old dog old cat tears grieving you stay in that lane because yeah. everybody else is about posting but we stay so not only is it the industry knowledge but then it's bringing it into saying, here's what our client looks like. Like for you guys, I'm going to guess 98% of the time, because it's for me, it's a woman millennial making the decision. So yeah. you better have a woman millennial in your look and in your feel. Know your client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I have a question. So I'm going to, I'm going to send this to Tracy. It's her sort of her area of expertise. So Chris is asking, what would be next after Google My Business? So Chris, I'm just going to ask, and if you, if you want to just type some clarification, I'm assuming from this that you're asking, after I've got my Google business listing up, what's next? But if that's, and I'm going to ask Tracy to answer based on that, but if that's not what you're asking, then please um, correct that. Oh, good. So my translation was excellent. So. <laughs> okay. Well, so obviously you want to have a website. So if you don't have a website, that get that. Um, if you aren't quite ready or to launch your website, but you have one in the mix, you can do Google My Business, get that all filled out, and you can create a free website that will be really basic, a really, really basic website based on your information that you have from Google My Business so that you can have that as an interim while you're waiting for your amazing website to be built. Um, so then after that, I would pick a social platform, just one. You don't need to have every single platform out there. Um, it's stop, stop, so stop. Yeah, you're answering my next question. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Ask me that question. That was my next question, but go ahead. You were doing such a beautiful job before I rudely interrupted you. That's fine. So um, 
I am a big Parks and Recreations fan. Hopefully other people are as well. So as the wise Ron Swanson once said, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. So get <laughs> just get one platform. Get one platform that you can be on. <laughs> get your one platform that you really want to focus on and that the way that i would pick that one thinking about who your ideal client is um where you are comfortable too because if if you know if the thing is like great everybody's saying go on tiktok and you're like no you know like if that's not something that you are even remotely interested in doing then fine because you need to do something that you will make a commitment to and actually stick with. So the more different platforms that you have out there, the um, the harder it's going to be for you to keep up with everything. So pick one. I would say, you know, for for dog trainers, either Facebook or Instagram is the perfect perfect place to be, um, and do really well with that. And then once you feel like, okay, I've got a good grasp on this, I'm getting engagement, I feel good, I feel like maybe. I'm ready to branch out a little bit, then pick another one. But again, just one, so you only have two. Yeah. Don't half-ass any of them. <laughs> Can I ask you a quick question? Um, and, and I'm not doing my own now, so I'm going off of the days that I did my own. What is your thoughts on, on platforms like Hootsuite and ping.mm? Hootsuite. Okay, so I... Um, I recognize if you are managing a bunch of different platforms that using a tool, a social media management tool can make your life so much simpler. However, if your platform is Facebook, then you don't wanna be using a third party tool. You really want to be utilizing Facebook because Facebook doesn't like you going off of Facebook. Facebook wants you to stay there all the time. So they have a great free tool though, Creator Studio, it's free and it's it's their own platform for scheduling out posts use that i'm i'm going to add to that because i use i have used hootsuite in the past and i have used uh, post planner and i stopped using them as soon as i started working with tracy and and pam schultz is actually on here and pam does our social media for ppg because um i was managing five of my own pages and then seven or eight of ppg's pages and then doggone safe and the easiest thing to do was to have four of us on post plan and just plugging out stuff and scheduling it and a couple of things happened number one we were putting out 16 posts a day on a page which was just absolutely ridiculous number two we were blasting posts across all pages so one page was getting pertinent information but everybody else was getting bs um, and and number three we, you're not able to tag people that you're referencing, which means you're not getting the exposure of bringing them into the conversation. So, and I, I probably missed something. I'm just trying to remember Tracy's little um, coaching session with me. So, and you're I thought, great. yes. So, so I looked at that and I thought, you know what? We are not on social media. We are just on social bullshit. All we are doing is just is just throwing crap on people's walls. And it's not good quality, it's not pertinent, we're not actually interacting with anybody, which surely the word social actually means. Um, we're not able to look at it, and again, Tracy should be so proud, we're not able to look at it and go, well, we've got a certain percentage of videos versus text versus graphics, which the systems want. Everything was getting hashtagged, and Facebook doesn't like hashtags, but Instagram does. So um, as a result of that, we have now had to take stock. We've also merged about 25 of our pages together because we had a shock-free coalition page for every region. So again, 
some were not. And someone said to me, well, is it a bad idea to delete them? And I said, well, nobody's posted on them in a year, so it doesn't matter anyway, does it? I mean, if no one's posting on them, no one's following them. So um, we're now in the process of sort of going to using the Creative Studio because that way you can start to spend some time having quality interactions. Did I, was that a good representation of your coaching services? You get a gold star. So much. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and, there's, and there's so much more you can get from her. So yeah. Um, all right. And um, Kelly's um, made a comment here. Um, and I'd be interested to hear everyone's feedback on this. I struggle with the idea of having a student or someone else take over my social media. These mm. people don't know the ins and outs. I have to write, if I have to write up what I'm looking for and explain it, then won't it be easier or faster for me to create the graphic myself? I have lots to say, but I've just been talking a lot, so I'll defer. Uh, here, here's where I'm at on that one. That's a fear of delegation. And I had that. I had that fear of delegation. How are they going to do it better than I do it? And I, you know what? I, I am meant to go do these things and she'll get it. She'll get it. It took a little bit of a training in the beginning. It took a little bit of really, you know, talking about the words that need to be out there and the pictures that need to be out there and the phrases and all that kind of stuff. It took a minute and, and, and it was, it was human nature quite a few times me in my head to go oh just forget it I'll do it myself but once she got it she got it and she was interacting with people like Rachel Ray and stuff like that so I don't have time for that you guys and so it's this fear of delegation and here's the other problem that I believe we have as business owners we we let great get in the way of good mm -hmm. good is fine. good is just fine yeah. I think there's a lot of work don't and let so, perfection stand in the way of getting stuff done just let yeah. good stand. Good is fine. And quite frankly, if you're doing your job as a good dog trainer, as an experiential facilitator of creating a family unit, look how I just redefined your role. Okay. If you're doing a good job at that, then quite frankly, your social media just backs you up because you've got people recommending you anyway. And you better be asking for referrals, by the way. I think I think I understand where Kelly's coming from, and I think the difficult thing is, is that you can't just take a student on board and expect them just to suddenly get going. You oh. need to, through osmosis, they need to learn about your company culture, who your clients are, what sort of branding message you want to get out there, and if you do all that properly, then you can just let them go, mm -hmm. or or have them do it and then just supervise and coach. And obviously, initially, you might be doing more coaching than you want to, but as as they, through that process of osmosis, understand what you're asking for, I think it gets easier and easier. Yeah. And that's easy peasy, because all they need to do, what I did with her, I said, go read my blogs, go search these things, go, I want you to devour my website. And after reading my blogs and devouring my website, if you can't get who, I'm, who I am off of that, then I probably don't need you in that role. But it's pretty easy after you do those things to understand the words that you should be using and the emotions and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like onboarding of anything else. It, you're just on board a, a team member. And I yeah. think you'll find too that if you hire the right people, they will do the job better than you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and you just have to get out of the way and let them do that. Yeah. So you do all the training up front and then you get out of the way. And yeah. what that allows you to do is what you do best. Because mm -hmm. one of one of the things that's so challenging in, in any small business, but I think especially in an industry like ours, where you're essentially trading time for money, which is part of why packages and memberships and things like that are so powerful because they allow us to scale a little bit more than we traditionally have been able to. 
but but one of the things that's so critical in running a business is that you not try to do all the things because exactly. it means that you're not doing any of them well which is making me giggle thinking about that um quote tracy but also <laughs> but yeah but also yeah. that you don't get to enjoy it as much like, yeah. that's one of the things that you know our our clients and thrive members and students who have broken through that fear of letting go of control of all parts of their business what they found is that their business is more successful but they also enjoy it a lot more because you spend so much more of your time doing the things that you meant to do in the first place i would imagine that most of us when we first thought you know when, when you think about i'm going to have a dog training business what are you thinking about you're thinking about training dogs and their people you're not thinking about running your social media or doing your on the ground content and network marketing or doing your billing or your accounting or your you know cleaning the floor of your facility if you have a facility but those end up being as much of the reality as training but when you get a hold on your business and you get brave enough to say i'm going to build this team what ends up happening is that you spend more and more and more of your time doing what you originally envisioned doing and what you most love and what you're best at and that is what allows you to afford to have other people do these things for you yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hiring is a whole separate topic, and it's one of the things that I learned in my many years in the corporate in a corporate environment that if you invest the resources and get it right, you save time on the back end. But if you employ the second or third person that passes your door, you're going to spend more time managing their problems and errors than you are actually doing your own job. But again, yeah. that's a whole different. Yeah. But, but it is understandable that fear of letting you know letting the control go. I mean, I'll, I'll confess. You know, I learned that firsthand. <clears throat> I don't know, a good 16 years ago. You know, everyone around me was saying you have to hire someone to help you. When we, you know, when 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 was was young, and 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 I knew I needed the help, but I kept thinking, yeah, but no one's going to be able to do it like I can. And mm -hmm. I also kept thinking, okay, yeah. You know, I, I need all. I need some admin help, but I have to clean this mess up first. Like I have to get it ready for someone else to do it. And what I finally realized was, no, I just need someone to come in and and do it and clean it up. And it was it's funny because you know you, it, it took a while to pry my fingers off. Those of you who know us and who know Deborsha know that Deborsha is really the engine. <laughs> I mean, she's what makes everything we do possible because she does everything else so that we can do what we do. But when I brought her in, I said, okay, well, you know, 10 hours a week and she can only just do these projects. And she was so lovely. She, she'd come to me and she'd say, you know, and she'd just try one more finger off the, I was noticing this and that's, you know, I think I can make that more efficient for you. Why don't you let me just try? And you know, and, you know, a year in, like I, I honestly, I still don't know what we would do yeah. without her. And so find yourself that Deborsha. I mean, find yourself that amazing person who just makes your life easier and yeah. who makes what you do truly possible. Yeah. Well, and you have to ask yourself the question too. And this is, you know, because sometimes I'm like you ladies talk, and it's like, okay, why? I, if I'm going to get it done right, I'm going to do it, you know, and you, and you do that. But what I, what I have stopped in my mature years, what I have stopped and said is, does this get me one more dollar for my business? Does it gain me one more family? And for one answer, more minute for your own free time too. Yes. Exactly. exactly. And yeah. so you've got to ask yourself the question 
and then be true to the answer. Because if it's non-value add, if it's non-value add, don't do it. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I look at myself in my role with my private businesses and I think about how much money I can generate an hour if I'm doing what I do best versus me, which is why we have the wonderful Pam now who's doing our social media, because it's not anything I do well. I don't enjoy it. I'm hoping that after we get the training done, Pam will know so much more than any any of us. Um, that she'll be the one telling us, hey, back off, what are you doing? That's the wrong pose. And that's what I'm hoping she'll do. I'm hoping that she'll sort of end up managing us and telling us to get out of her wheelhouse. Um, and I think you have to think about that. You have to think about you know, what, what I'm doing right now. Is this making any money? Is it bringing any money into the organization? And if not, what should I be doing instead? And let somebody else do that. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I talk with my clients a lot about when I'm bringing them on and talking about the different things that I have, um, especially when it comes to email marketing. So I, I do not manage social media for my clients, but I will manage email marketing. And what I have found is that people hate email marketing even more than they hate their social media. So, hooray, I love doing emails. It's a great fit. <laughs> I love it. And so I was just recently talking with a client and he was, um, he was saying, you know, I, I do them myself and I can do them. And, you know, he is, he's a photographer, so he's very particular about how everything looks and he gets very, um, you know, focused on very small little details. And when I was talking to him about it, it's like, okay, well, great. Yes, of course you can do your own email marketing. You're not, you know, anybody can do it. Marketing isn't rocket science for the most part. Anybody can learn how to do it, but do you want to? No, of course not. So um, what he was, he was saying, I can do it. And I was like, well, how long does it take you to do it? Does it take you more time? Like, cause he was saying it was taking him like four or five hours to get an email done. And it's like, what, how is it taking you that long? That's ridiculous. And I said, how much is your time worth that those four or five hours that you're taking to do that? Yeah. How much is it worth? And then I was like, is it worth the same as what I will charge you to do this? And he was like, oh, yeah, it makes a lot more sense to have you do it for me <laughs> because I will do it so much faster and you can be doing other things that yeah. you do great while yeah. I do the things that I do great. And I mean, I, I, let me give you an example. We used to do them and um, Veronica's dog was always puts out a great newsletter. Um, we used to do a newsletter um, every month, and I think we used to because it was. And I'm not talking about PPG now; I'm talking about my private businesses. Um, and I, I suddenly noticed that we were no longer doing them because it was such a hassle to gather the text and the graphics into the template that it sort of went. I'll, I won't do them every month; I'll do them twice every second month. And then before you know it, it's like we haven't done one for a year. And and in the end, when I was talking to Tracy, I, I was I said, "Oh God!" And I understand intellectually; I understand the importance of them. So the lovely Tracy Lee Davis developed this lovely template for us, got the whole thing set up. I put out our first email newsletter two weeks ago and made $3,000 off course sales, had an open rate of 30% and a click-through rate of almost 40%. And I was like, and my husband, who also looks after all our finances, and not tell me half the story, he goes, what have you done today? And I said, why? He goes, oh, I'm getting cha-ching, cha-ching, as the PayPal receipts were coming in. And I went, I put out a newsletter. <laughs> Well, you definitely paid for my services with so that newsletter. For services, and more importantly, I can't wait to put the next one out. I'm so motivated because I got so much reinforcement from it. And I'm actually every day I log on to constant contact and I think it's a bit too soon. Back away from people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like harm people by putting, you know. But I'm like, oh, this is great. 
so um really really it's, i mean it, well, this stuff works if you do it and that, that's one thing that i would never give anybody else to do because a i enjoy doing it and b i want all the reinforcement for me because it's Great yeah, yeah, and it isn't that hard. And like Tracy teaches everybody, and I know you covered this in the webinar the other day, is that these long emails now, nobody reads them. And especially when they're opening them on smartphones, which most people are. So I realized that every month we put out several blogs. So all we have to do now is just take the first sort of few words of the blog and then say, click to read more. And there's your newsletter content. It's so easy. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, I have some questions here. Um, let me just shoot these off so that everybody gets their questions asked. Um, so Chris asks, any any drawbacks to using a client as an employee? Who wants to answer that? Oh. Well, I think if the client fits the profile and they can pass the interview test and they can pass everything. I mean, you got to. It's. I, I would take all titles off and say you're you're just another person applying for this job. So. I have, different, I have a different opinion. Does anybody else have a different opinion? I, I've had I'm not I, I, doing that, so I, I sort of I, I won't do that anymore. And I'm not suggesting it's not right for other people, but I actually found that I ended up losing clients because they came into a job, didn't really enjoy it, they left after two or three months, and then they're embarrassed to use you because of their relationship. Mm. Now, I also admit that could be my problem with management, approach, whatever. But um, that was just how it played out. But that was also in a, a, a animal hospital stroke boarding kennel environment. So maybe with dog training or something else, it's different. I, I, think, I, think, how training, I think a lot of times it's something where the, I, I think a previous client, someone you've worked with in the past, um, because what, I think one of the things that's really terrifying about hiring is going out into the world and trying to figure out among all of these strangers who is the right yeah. fit. I think yeah. a lot of times it's sort of nice to look around and say, who do I already know? Yeah. Who do I already know who might actually be a really good fit here? And it could be a previous client or it yeah. could be the, the, the person who you know, who works at the front counter of the pet supply store, who you're just really impressed with their manner and their professionalism. Um, or it, And so I think, I think that can work. I think it can be problematic sometimes when you try to maintain a relationship on two levels at the same time, you know, an ongoing client and an employee. Um, yeah. That, I think it can, you know, when, when those sorts of things work, they work beautifully. Yeah. But you know, as as yeah. Nikki can attest to, when they don't work, yeah. they're painful. But yeah. but I think that looking at your client list of who are these people I've worked with in the past, who maybe are still reading my newsletter and who I had really good rapport with, I think sometimes it could be more comfortable going and and sort of exploring the idea with somebody yeah. as opposed to just putting it out in the universe and then having to sort through you know, yeah. all of the chapters. I mean, looking for me, I, I think I would say, because I, I think there's, I think, I mean, I don't think anyone's wrong. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. But for me, I think I would equate it to the same as being really cautious about becoming friends with somebody who works for you. And, and there are always exceptions because a couple of people that I work with are, are really good friends. Um, because I think sometimes not everybody's good at, having those lines in place when they when it needs to be in terms of having to have difficult conversations or having to disagree with somebody else. I think you have to be careful because again you could end up either losing a friend or a really good employee. So yeah. I think it's I think it's the same thing. 
in yeah. my in my past career, so for those of you who don't know who are watching, um, I, for a decade, I was the director of operations for a dog daycare boarding, grooming, and training facility. So we had um, three locations. I had 50 staff, 10 contractors, thousands of clients. And um, we did have occasionally, um, I can think of one, and I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting another, but uh, a client did become an employee, and it went great. She was a great employee. Um, and then, um, but as far as the becoming friends with your, I feel like if you're friends first and then it becomes a working relationship, it might be a little bit easier than if you are working and then you become friends because that line I think gets, gets blurred a little bit. Um, I did have some uh, managers who um, I would, you know, I was the top of the heap. I, I didn't, I reported to no one except for the owner of the company and everybody else was my employee. And so, you know, it gets lonely. And of course I wanted to have friends in my workplace. Um, and, and it, for certain, certain people did really well as being able to, to have friend Tracy be different than boss Tracy and other people had a very hard time when the lines got blurred and that was difficult. And unfortunately, it's not always easy to tell who's going to go into what category at the beginning, but then you have to just be really good about boundaries. And when I was in my late twenties and early thirties, I was not, <laughs> but now I think I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> Well, Colleen colors outside the line. She doesn't know the word boundary. No, but for people, I do know those boundaries very well. Yes, Bosho. You know, my husband and I, he is, he's my business coach. And a lot of people kind of raise an eyebrow at that. And I say, we, we, phys we will make physical gestures when he goes, okay, listen, husband had his off, coach yeah. had his And we need to have a different discussion. And man, we both go into a totally different demeanor. I, I have to keep on a different, a whole different way that I'm going to receive the information he's about to give me because wife hat is off. You know, yeah. I need to get and Rick and, you know, I, Rick and I met through work. Yeah, Rick and I met through a formal relationship at work, so we're really good at being able to do that. I, yeah. I actually go to his office and say, okay, this is completely work related, and it's like, okay, and um, and we can have very different conversations than if it's just like me being a nagging wife. That's that's the nagging wife side. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it works there's well. No though. There's no negotiations with that one. That's just like bloody well. Yeah. <laughs> it is lovely when it works well, though. I mean, it's it's been it's been one of the joys of my work life to 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 have spent the last 20 years working with my two closest friends. Um, but it's the same thing, you know. Like if, if Gina and I call each other, or you know, if I call Deborah on the week, like she knows that I'm calling about gardening. I'm, you know, we're we're it, it's girlfriend time. It's not, yeah. you know, it's it's not yeah. work time. And yeah, yeah. and you're know, making yeah. sure that you're that you've got you know, that, that that you set aside the time you know for both. Do that, yeah. You know, well, I think that you just one more thing. One of the things, because people, when they used to come in and I would help them through the loss of their precious love and, you know, they loved how I made them feel. And so they wanted to do that for other people, right? Well, behind the scenes in my world, it, it gets, it can get a little ugly. You know, I'm dealing with death. I'm dealing with cremation machines. I'm, de I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. And so I, I always wanted to make sure that we took all, all the shells off the balls and that they were able to see all that. So I would have working, we would do working interviews. And, and we, yeah, 
Yeah, I wanted to make sure that they saw it all. Yeah. And let me tell you what, it weeded out a lot of people who are like, yeah. oh, I don't like that side back there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, that's a part of it, you know, um, in the whole picture. So anyway, I'm done. No, they're, they're actually really good ideas. We used to do a, a, a working week and we'd pay them, obviously, to make it, you know, sure. that way they're covered by insurance, etc. Because a lot of people, you can sit across an interview table and you can do a really good job interviewing and feel that you've hit all the right buttons and that you've described the job properly, you've painted it the ugliest it's going to be, you've explained that you're scooping up dog poo, you're not cuddling with the little Pomeranian. But when they actually come into a boarding kennel environment and they hear that noise and they smell that smell and they hear all those stressors, people just go, brakes go on and they just go, ah. Yeah, no. Yeah, and then work with that for a few days and understand that it's not all good stuff. That's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a question here from Vanille. It says, what website builder would you recommend for better SEO? Is there anybody here that feels they have the knowledge to answer that? I don't think that the website builder doesn't matter right. as much as your content. I mean, yeah. like I, I use a Wix website and I built my, my website myself. Um, I started my business in um, January of 2014. By March 2014, I had someone who found me um, they were my, my one of my very first clients, a huge client for me at the time, and um, they found me through a Google search, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I just filled up the content that I thought yeah. would be helpful. So I don't think that the, the the platform is as important as your ability to management manage it if you're going to be doing it yourself, and the content that you put on it. You know, your content is the most important thing. That that is the that is what is going to um, help you show up in searches. So your content is more important than the platform. Right. Thank you. Okay, it's two o'clock. So we were actually it's actually two o two. We were actually done a couple of minutes ago. Is everybody okay for one last question? Yeah. yeah. And I, I put this question on here because it was something Colleen mentioned in her webinar this morning, and it sort of took me back to my very first days when I opened my own business in 2005 or six, whenever it was. Um, and when you open your first business or when you open a business, often you have lots of time and very little money and you then have to embark on doing a lot of guerrilla marketing and um, shoestring marketing. So I spend literally 10 hours a day out on the road, leaving flyers on people's windows, car windows, in people's mailboxes until I was told it was illegal to do that in the United States. <laughs> my husband and I, in our very first business, would go out at two o'clock in the morning and drive a hundred miles and put yard signs up all over the interstate exits until we got fined by code enforcement. <laughs> um, not, knowing it, not knowing it was illegal to do that. So the point is that there is so much you can do, guerrilla marketing, shoestring marketing, when you open a business, especially if you're a local-based business that's giving local services and you're not on the internet. There's no point in putting a yard sign out if you're servicing Connecticut and you live in Spain. I mean, that's not going to work for you. Um, so I wanted to spend a few minutes and just talk about some of the things. And this came up because this morning Colleen was talking about how she had her stepson out putting um, flyers. She basically would find out where her customers were and would then go to them in terms of getting information out. And when you were talking about that, I was laughing because Rick and I used to be exhausted, some of the stuff we yeah. used to do. And it, and it, our business grew exponentially as a result yeah. of it. Would I do that again? I would probably do it very differently, but the intent would still be the same in, in terms of getting out there. Now, six months into it, you've no longer got any time and you've got a shitload of money. 
So at that point, you actually start paying to do direct mail and newspaper and all kinds of other expensive marketing, working on the premise that you can track it. So what are the things that a small business can do in terms of guerrilla marketing or shoestring marketing that can bring customers into them that is not going to get them arrested by code enforcement or, or a letter from the US mail service saying if you put a flyer in one more mailbox, we're coming to arrest you because it's a federal crime. Um, what can people do? All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we did for the my old um, my old company. Well, it's still around, but I'm not there. I got laid off. Um, so when we opened, uh, I I came up with the million dollar idea, and it was the best three hundred dollars that we ever spent. We just got a sandwich board mm -hmm. that because we we were off of a we were we weren't on a busy street but we were off of a busy street and so we put the sandwich board um that just had the the name the logo phone number and an arrow and that 300 sandwich board brought us in so much business i mean this was 2004 yeah. the social media advertising was not a thing um a lot of the digital tools that are available now were not around but that was the best investment that we made so if you have if you have a physical facility that you have mm -hmm. the ability to put something like that around maybe talk to your business neighbors and see if you can utilize their space that it was it was well worth it I'm going to raise you a costume dog on that because we used we bought for six hundred dollars one of those big costume dogs, <laughs> and it had this massive printed T-shirt on it, and then we put a big sandwich board over it, the ones that you can buy, and we we paid students to go dance at traffic lights and give out flyers, and it was so popular that when we used to go and do events, people would come up and go, "When's the dog coming out?" <laughs> Loved it, and this, this, and it was incredible. It cost us probably about eight hundred dollars to get it set up. It was the best piece of marketing we ever used to bring in new customers. Everybody loved it. Love Absolutely it. loved it. Yeah. You know, there are so many. Again, if you stand tall and you think about where are my clients, and I'm just going to throw an idea out to you. If we've got millennial women, okay, that are our clients, let's just say that that is true. Then what I would do is I would go find an apartment complex that is pet friendly and I would throw up a, a training party and I would do it on the grounds and I would have everybody in the middle of the courtyard who could watch what we're doing out there and see all these little animals that are having a great time. Some of these things you got to treat them as loss leaders. Okay, so I'm going to go into that apartment complex. I'm going to do one. We're going to cut the price in half, whatever it is, or I'm going to offer them double in what's in the package, whatever it is. And and just get yourself out there. I do a marketing webinar, and, and, I, and I flash back. People are like, how many things were you doing out of those 70 ideas? Because I, I did, or 60, I did one a minute. I did one a minute, okay? And I said, guys, I'm going to tell you, I did a majority of those all at the same time. I'm passing out flyers. I'm standing at Costco. I'm going to PetSmart, handing out brochures. I went to assisted living places that had animals. I went to home hospice nurses who I knew were taking care of little old people who had little old poodles. I mean, I am wherever people had animals, I plopped myself. I stood at dog parks and handed out stuff. Mm -hmm. Go where the people are at. And, not, and and secondly, 
not only go where the people are at, I mean, Home Depot and Lowe's and all those places are pet friendly. Why not have a training out in their parking lot and say, mm -hmm. hey, listen, bring your animals here. It's a pet friendly place. You get a lot of exposure. And let me tell you something. The other thing you better be doing, you better be wearing your logo wear. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those flyers, you know what else I did with my stepson? I gave him some cash. I said, I want you to go through every drive-thru you can go through, get a Coke and hand a stack of flyers in through the through the window when you're going through. Yeah. Have them put those out. He'll yeah. put them out for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump on the back of that apartment building because one of the things that I did very successfully when I was based in Panama City and I handed it off to our dogsmith, who is Catherine Zayner, who's still down there. I agreed with a homeowner association to do dog training because one of the one of the biggest complaints that HOAs get, CAMs, community managers, is barking and unruly dogs and dog poop. And you are the solution to their biggest problem. We would train in the middle area of where the apartments were. It became so popular that CAM used to announce that it was dog training night and everybody would come down with their barbecues and deck chairs and ice coolers to watch us. That is how popular. And Catherine told me recently, they still do it to this day. She still wow. trains down on a Friday evening and they all pile out with their deck chairs and, and coolers to watch the dog training session. And of course you get all the referrals from everybody who lives there. For sure. You know, I, I love this because it, it, it it's, an, it's another really wonderful illustration of that concept of content or community marketing yeah. that using yeah. your expertise, you're making a difference yeah. while you're spreading the word yeah. about about you and, um, and and a couple of other things to add to that too you know particularly for for those among you listening who are a little bit less gregarious um, and, and comfortable gregarious. putting yourselves out there in, in those sorts of ways um, Colleen says not a problem not a problem um, no I love it I totally love it but but thinking too about you know all the ways that you can share your expertise I love these ideas about you know going out and doing these actual training sessions and demos and places where people can yeah. see you work and you're and you're making a difference right then and there and in that moment also thinking about using the written word you know Tracy was talking about email newsletters but print newsletters are really powerful your yeah. email newsletter works when I know you and I've signed up for it but you got to get in front of me in some way to give me the opportunity to do that and so distributing print newsletters throughout your community anywhere someone might want to pick up some good reading material where you're educating about dogs and dog behavior and sharing some you know fun entertaining material things like that I'm putting out tip sheets too. Most dog trainers have a series of tip sheets that they use in their classes and with their private training. Branding those really beautifully and putting them out in places for people to pick up. And now your your brand and your URL are on there and all of this stuff ends up littering my home. And at some point when I decide I, you know, it's time I need to hire a dog trainer, I know who to hire because I've already got your stuff on my coffee table and underneath that stack on my kitchen table. And so just you know, thinking about how you can use your expertise and your passion to educate people about dogs to market your business as yeah. well. And I, and and I about, let's go back to that print, Veronica. Direct mail is cool again. With the millennials, they like direct mail again. And so when I would do direct mail, and think about this for your list, I want a female, 30 to 45. I need her to make $50,000. I need her to read Dog Fancy. I need her to have a credit card. I need her. You can get your list to exactly in this zip code. Boom. You can get it right there what you need. It, it's a yep. beautiful segmentation. Yeah. Not, not, and, not just and that. And another little trip. Sorry. Sorry. There's, there's some great direct mail software now where you can actually plug in. If you've already got a client, 
and we we built a, a we made our routes a lot more efficient doing this. So you have three clients in one neighborhood, and then your ne next two clients are ten miles away. You can actually do a direct mail around one of those houses. It will then yes. mail five hundred houses around it. So now you end up with twenty clients for dog walking, all in the same neighborhood. Bang! Really, really efficient for you. And, and not in favor. Don't go right. in penny saver. That goes back to what we've been talking about. Now you got to go on price because you're in penny saver. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely want to elevate. And, and and don't. And one of the things too, I think a lot of times, you know, so you have you have your direct mail um, approach, and then also using these materials as a way to network with potential referral sources too. Because most dog trainers, you get one one or two really good referral sources. A pet supply store that's constantly sending, or a vet clinic that's constantly sending the clients that are right match for you. Yeah. And that's sometimes all it takes. And so thinking about using your materials to form those relationships, and if you are, you know, a little bit uncomfortable about going in and asking, you know, oh, you know, can I can I leave my things here? One of the things I love about newsletters is um, one of my favorite tricks is going in someplace that you really want to have carry your newsletter and telling them a little bit, you know, hey, I've got this newsletter that I use as a, you know, just an, an education tool in the community as part of our mission, um, and. Um, we love to highlight local businesses. I'd like to highlight you in our next edition. Do you have five or 10 minutes for a quick interview? Because then when you bring it in hot off the presses with a story about their business on the front page, it's not like they're not gonna be happy to have you set it on the counter. And then from then on, you're just, you know, there you are, you're just bringing the next edition in. Yeah, so that, so for those of you who are a little bit shy and not sure how to get in there, um, that's a trick that, um, that a lot of our clients have, have used to good effect. I just want to add one more note about events and, and going to locations where your clients are because I think one of the traps we fall into in our industry is always looking for dog events and people mm -hmm. go, well, there's no dog events near me. The best success we ever had was not at dog events. We would go to other events and be the only dog service provider there. So you're no longer one of 50. You are the one person with the cute dog and the big jar of cookies. And that would be a farmer's market, it could be a home show, it could be women's fair. And all of our communities have these type of events at the weekend. So that I always, because remember that 60% of our communities own pets. So if you go to any event, the, the, the numbers tell you this 60% of the people there are gonna be pet owners, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so I don't, I mean, I'd love to keep you guys for another hour, but that would be dreadfully unfair. Um, let's just have some closing words from everybody. What's the one piece of advice you would give anybody? Let's start with Colleen. Do you be you and stay in your lane? <laughs> Veronica. Same story. Value yourself. Absolutely value yourself. The more you value yourself, the more your clients will, the easier your sales become, the more in demand you are, the less you have to worry about uh, all of the marketing pressure. Uh, it's so deeply, deeply important to value yourself, not just for yourself and your own business, but also because that leads to providing services that that really do make a difference um, for clients and the dogs as well. Thank you. And then Tracy, give us another great um, plug about half hours. <laughs> All right, well, I don't, I don't have another one of those, but um, uh, my big thing is done is better than perfect. Um, yeah. if, you, if you are waiting for things to be perfect before you launch or do that class or you know, start marketing or whatever, you're going to be waiting forever. Just get it done and you will learn from any mistakes that you might have and you'll get better over time. Yeah. 
Lovely. Um, Thank you. It's one of the mantras of our Thrive program to yeah. get out get there, it. make a difference in the world, and you can make a better difference as you go along. But you don't, don't rob people of what you have to offer. Lovely. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being here with me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to have you all back. The dynamic was great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. I love this. I, yeah, I can hang out for another yeah. three hours. edition of Barks Podcast. Once again, thank you to Veronica Battelle from Dogbiz, Tracy Lee Davis from Zingpop Social Media and Colleen Ellis from Two Hearts Pet Loss Center. And remember, if you want to get involved with the Pet Professional Guild, you can reach us at www.petprofessionalguild.com.